0: Welcome to the Disney View Podcast. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer. He's a one-time cast member, and he's been to Disney World literally hundreds of times. Listen in as he talks about one of his favorite things, the Walt Disney World Resort in Orlando, and occasionally beyond the Orlando theme park. And now, here's your host. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David.
1: Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. On today's podcast, I wanted to give you some more details around the inner workings of the Emporium. Now, if you remember some of my earlier podcasts and you've listened to me a little bit, you know that I was a cast member in the Emporium in the early 1990s, and it was a great time. I really enjoyed my time working there, and it's very memorable for a lot of reasons. Now, if you want to hear about becoming a cast member, working in the store, and so forth, uh, I invite you to listen to some of my earlier podcasts. Uh, they're, mu- they're much earlier in the sequence, but go through my uh, show notes, and you'll find them. If you go through the, uh, the RSS feed, you can find them that way as well. But I wanted to spend some time and get into more of the inner workings of the Emporium. I had kind of wanted to do this podcast along the way and just never got around to it. There's just so much to talk about it uh, related to Disney that just never made it back to this one. But I wanted to do that now. So back when I was there in the early 1990s, the store itself was about 9,000 square feet and uh, comprised um, seven entrances around the outside of it. It had a large stock room in the back and then two smaller stock rooms that were kind of next to it. And you had an additional stock area in the utilidors and the tunnels underneath the uh, the Emporium. So you really had a lot of stock space that was uh, being used there. Now it's expanded, and it actually covers the entirety of Main Street. It used to go from uh, the end-facing City Hall up to Center Street. Since that time, they've closed off Center Street and taken over the other three stores that were next to it. So it goes all the way from Main Street all the way up to Casey's Corner at the end of Main Street. It's a remarkably big store. It encompasses something like 20,000 square feet now and has 11 entrances to it. It's just an enormous store, and the amount of merchandise sold there is really astonishing in terms of how much goes through there and how much uh, real estate it takes up and how it, how it actually works. So back when I was there, they used to talk about the fact that it was the largest dollars per square foot of any store in the world. Now, that may be a little bit of hyperbole, maybe a little bit extreme, it may not be that big a store, but certainly to be in that discussion and to even be considered and to have people believe it is pretty remarkable. I can give you some rough numbers. By my estimate, uh, the store takes in about $200,000 a day on average in terms of its uh, net sales. And that would be about $75 million a year just for that store. Given those numbers and the square footage of the store, it's entirely possible that it's at least in the top five of stores in terms of dollars per square foot. But I do find it remarkable just how big that store is and how much goes through there. Regardless of whether it's one of the top or the top, doesn't really matter. It really does a tremendous amount of business. So let's take a look at the sort of the inner workings of the store. When you look at the store, you have the park operations that actually runs everything. And they uh, manage the entirety of the park to make sure the park is running. Then you have sort of the store's division that's separated out. Then you have a general manager who's over the emporium. And then below them, you have some supervisors who manage more or less day-to-day operations. So the supervisors are going to be about, I think, I think at the time we had about six supervisors working there. Uh, it wound up, I believe now it's closer to 10 supervisors that oversee the entirety of the operation. And then below them are all the leads. Leads are the people responsible for making sure that everything runs smoothly, that all the cast members are in the right places, that everyone knows what they're doing, that everyone has a duty station, that everything is getting accomplished throughout the life cycle of the day. And then sort of below them is the uh, merchandise hosts. The merchandise hosts are actually broken into two categories. You have the people who are doing the floor stock and making sure that there's stock on the floor to actually sell. And then you have the uh, merchandise people who are actually ringing up at the registers. There's also another group of people in the, in the store that are called the control stock people. They fall under the same hierarchy, but they're actually separated out because their job is to make sure that there's merchandise coming into the store so someone has something they can put on the floor. So it kind of makes sense in a big circle as far as how everybody fits together in the process. Now, when we look at the store, uh, we realize that in the entirety of the Emporium, including all of the leads and all of the merchandise hosts and the control stock people, there's about 300 people that work there. Yes, I said 300. It's an amazing operation, but you consider that it's pretty much 24 hours a day, and there's stuff going on all the time, people coming and going, people working an eight-hour shift. You have to have enough people to support the operations in that store. Since, it's a, since everything is a seven-day-a-week operation, you have to make sure that you've got enough people to be able to be there and working and get the right mix of people to be able to run everything and keep it running. So it's a very broad operation, and that's why there are so many leads and so many supervisors, and everyone's kind of involved in the whole process. So the supervisors take care of making sure that everyone is scheduled, making sure that everyone has their vacation, making sure that everyone is getting paid, making sure that we have the right number of people in there given what the park capacity is supposed to be that day. Now remember, I spent uh, a couple of weeks one year uh, doing budgets for the store. And doing budgets really encompassed looking at what was the park capacity supposed to be? When would we close the park? How many dollars did we take in over the course of some period of time? What is our top-selling merchandise? What's our lowest-selling merchandise? How many people does it take to support that kind of stuff? What's our net cost in terms of labor? All of those things figure into the big picture, and that's how the supervisors decide, decide to do their planning and make sure that they have the right number of people working at any given time. So I had an insight into that that I thought was really cool. Now, it's been a long time, and things have changed a lot, and I don't remember the numbers exactly, but I do remember it was staggering. I'm looking at this stuff, and I'm just thinking to myself, this is just amazing how much is going on here and how much business is being done and how they do the uh, capacity planning because it is very algorithmic, and they figure it out based on what their needs are, based on how many registers they want to have open and making sure that there's a few number of people in lines and so forth and making sure that you have enough people to stock the floor. It is a really incredible operation, and I give them so much credit for coming up with this and thinking it through completely to make sure that they always had and still have the right number of people there at any given time. The leads are responsible for the day-to-day operations and making sure that everyone has their duty assignment, that everyone's there, that everyone's checked in, that everyone has what they need to be successful in in the course of the job. Plus, of course, they're monitoring safety, keeping an eye on the operations, and making sure that everything goes smoothly. So that's really their job. The control stock people are the people who are making sure that merchandise is always available in the stockroom. The stockroom itself is very well organized. If you, look, if you were to walk back there and look, you'd see, okay, here's a section where it's all plush toys. And then you walk back a little bit further, and here's all our hanging merchandise. So it might be shirts and coats and things like that. Then over here is um, all the hats that we're going to be selling. Over here is all our folded merchandise, T-shirts and so forth. Then over here is the candy. Then over here is toys. Then over here is all the uh, breakables. Um, things like the uh, coffee mugs and plates and things like that that they'd sell. So you kind of have a very well-organized area in the back where it's easy to go in and get what you're looking for. They're also organized. Some, some of the things are easy to find because you know it's a you know, 22-inch poo plush or something. But some things are a little bit harder to find. And that's why if you ever flip over any merchandise, take a you know, coffee cup, for example, and you turn it over, there's a number on the bottom that's part of the barcode. And that number will start with a three-digit code and then go on to the rest of the code. The rest of the code defines what type of coffee cup, what park it belongs to, and so on. But that first three digits defines it as being uh, ceramic. So it would be like, I think the ceramics are 085. So when you look at the bottom, you'd see an 085. So everything is well-organized and numerically sequenced in the back. So when you walk back there and you're looking for coffee cups, you can just go, okay, where are the ones that are the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7? And I'll look for those based on the fact that they're sequentially numbered back there. Even though you can see them, sometimes you have to kind of look at the numbers because it makes it easier to find them. But it's really, really, really well organized. And that big stock room contains most of that stuff. There's also jewelry and some other things in there. There's toys in one section, and they're all set out there so you can find them easily and get them on the floor and make sure that they're stocked. Now, I don't know if they expanded the back stock room to include the other stores that they encompass in the Emporium or whether they just used the original uh, stock rooms that went with those. Either way, you have to assume that they've come up with a clever way to make sure that there's merchandise available for the cast members to put out on the floor. So control stock is really responsible for making sure that those stock rooms always have a level of stock to put on the floor. That's really their job. So a lot of things on the list, like uh, autograph pens, uh, autograph books, pins... Uh, things of that nature, those are on auto reorder. So they will just get reordered automatically and there's always a stock of those coming into the store. But a a lot of other things have to be kind of manually ordered because you want to make sure that you have a sufficient amount of stock. Yes, you're running low on this, so you want to make sure that you're bringing enough stock in so you have some in the stock room to be able to put on the floor. So the control stock person is using this system to actually do that management and make sure that the merchandise comes in and is put into the stock room and is always available. So they can use this system that at the time was called Merlin. I imagine it's probably the same thing and just been upgraded, or who knows, it might have a different name, that was sort of the magical ordering system. So the auto-replenish things were automatically getting ordered every single time. But the other things, you could put in some requisition for some number of them or to make sure your stock level was right, because as the control stock person, you were the eyes on the floor to make sure that there was going to be enough merchandise to sell. Then once a day, a truck would come by and deliver all the merchandise that you had ordered from the central warehouse. And they'd bring it over in a truck, it would come in big boxes on pallets, Uh, the cardboard boxes were, were there and they were loaded with stuff, they'd have to wrap them with the plastic wrap and whatever. And our job as control stock was in the morning to go out there, unload that truck, take everything out, check it in, make sure it made it to the shelves. Sometimes you got merchandise that wasn't right and you had to return it. Sometimes you were shorted on something, sometimes the central warehouse didn't have something. Whatever the case may be, you had to make sure that it all worked out and that you had that stock. And sometimes you had to reorder something so the next day you would have it. So think about this. You've got your inventory coming in on a truck at about 8 o'clock in the morning, and you're standing outside and you're checking it all in. That merchandise has to last you until the time the park closes at about 3 o'clock in the morning because you're not going to get another delivery during the day. They just don't do that. It's too complicated to get another truck there. So you have to have planned enough to make sure that you have enough merchandise to actually sell. So that's the whole nature of the control stock person is making sure that there's enough of that there, that it's all there and ready. Now, I have mentioned in the past, and even on this podcast, that there was a place in the utilidors down in the tunnels where they had some extra stock. And that was because we realized that we needed to have additional stock above and beyond whatever we had in the the storeroom so that we didn't have to worry about another truck coming. You know, if we're selling a lot of Mickey Mouse plush toys and we know that we're going to be selling you know thousands of them during the course of the day but there's only room to store 500 of them you might store another 500 in the tunnel underneath and bring them up later in the day to make sure that you can replenish the supply so you can put them on the floor and sell thousands and that's really what control stock did it was really responsible for making sure that all of that happened now the cool part about being in control stock is that you're not wearing the standard costume for the standard costume, you're wearing the, if you're a man, you're wearing brown pants and the uh, plaid jacket and the cream shirt and the, I think it's a, a tie. And for the women, it's the plaid uh, skirt and then the uh, the, the cream colored shirt. And if you were in that category, you couldn't go beyond Main Street because you were themed to be working on Main Street. If you wanted to go beyond Main Street, you couldn't in your normal costume. So in control stock, you were wearing a white shirt and blue pants, and that meant you could be deployed anywhere around the park. You could walk around the park and go somewhere and pop up, and you didn't look out of place because you were not wearing the standard uh, attire for a Main Street cast member. And that was kind of powerful because you had the ability to go back to another part of the park, to get something if you needed to, to be deployed somewhere else for a few hours if someone needed some help somewhere else in the park. It was kind of uh, kind of interesting because you had a little more autonomy in that way, where you could go around and just take care of things that needed to be taken care of. Now, you could still stock the floor. You could still run a register. You could still do other things. Or they could just pull you off entirely and have you do something else, which happened periodically. Now, control stock gives you the broadest view into the entire area. But there's only a small number of control stock people there. In the mornings, there was something like, I think, 12 control stock people working. And then by the end of the day, there was only two left. Uh, so you had different roles that you'd play in there. Some of the other things you had to do was making sure the garbage got taken out so that it, uh, you actually had your stockroom clean all the time. Cleanliness was one of the most important things. You had to make sure that everything was clear, the aisles were clear, everything was clean. There were certain safety regulations you had to follow. There were certain uh, Health regulations you had to follow as well, especially since there was candy involved where they had to be stored in a certain way and the floor had to be a certain amount of clean and clean so many times a day, things like that, That have, rules that have to be followed that you had to go through. You also had the uh, the need to take all of those cardboard boxes that you get in. Remember I said that everything came in a cardboard box. You had to take all of those cardboard boxes, break them down put them into a uh, machine that would actually bail them for you, and they would get uh, tied together so you could return them to the warehouse so they could be reused or recycled if they were already starting to wear out. You also had to make sure that all the pallets that everything came on were all stacked neatly and off to the back so they could be picked up later that night and taken back to the warehouse for reuse another time. So this was something that you had to be constantly thinking about. How do I keep things clean? How do I keep them neat? How do I keep them organized? And as a control stock person, that was well within your domain. As soon as you were done with your job of checking everything in, you had to make sure that every, the area was clean and neat. That was a big part of everything you did. Now I'd like to switch over and talk about what it's like to work as a merchandise host. When you're hired on to work in a store like the Emporium, typically what they'll do is they'll put someone in to run the registers. Because the registers are relatively easy. All you have to do is scan all the merchandise that that a guest brings to you, scan, 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 and the system will tell you how much they owe. If it's a credit card transaction, you swipe it. If it's a uh, traveler's check transaction, you would just verify the signatures, verify the ID. And if it was cash, all you had to do was make change. And, of course, they taught you the easiest way to make change. You're always counting up. So if somebody bought $10.60 worth of merchandise and handed you a $20 bill, all you had to do was count to 11 so you gave them enough change to take it to $11, then give them enough dollar bills to take it to $15, and then give them a 5 for the difference. You didn't have to think about how much change you had to give them, it was just adding it up to make it easy. It was really, really clever the way they'd set this up. So essentially anyone could run a register, and that's why they'd give you that job first to sit there and run the register. So uh, if you showed some aptitude and some skill, you would get asked to do stock because the important part about stock was that you had to have merchandise on the floor to sell. The store always had to look neat. Everything had to be well folded and put away. Now, late at night, it was always hard to keep up with the number of guests that were coming in the store. It was, you couldn't keep up, and you couldn't uh, keep everything folded and keep all the shelves neat, but you did the best you could under the circumstances. The rest of the day, you could do it pretty well. You could make sure that all the merchandise was on the shelves very neatly. All the shirts were folded. Everything was nice and clean. There was always enough stock out there so that it looked well-stocked and looked like a well-run store. So that was your job if you did floor stock. So you had to look around at the merchandise. You would get a section that you were supposed to support that day. And you would look at that section and go, okay, I need to do, I'm going to do shirts now. You'd go in the back and start getting shirts and stocking those and refolding them and stocking them and refolding them. If you were doing hats, you'd always make sure there was enough hats out there. If you were doing um, some of the ceramic stuff, you'd have to make sure that it was neat and organized and was always in the right places and looked very um, organized so people could pick it up and take what they wanted. You also had to walk around the store periodically, pick up things, put them back because people would leave them in the wrong place, and of course, you had to clean up once in a while. You had to be neat and organized, just like everybody else, and make sure that everything was nice and clean, and there wasn't trash on the floor, and there wasn't stuff all over the place, and you just make sure that your area stayed neat and orderly. And it was, it was pretty easy, but it took a lot of work. You know, and you're talking about so many people working in there, and so many people moving around, that it takes you know a lot of effort just to keep everything kind of flowing smoothly and it was always kind of neat if you happened to work floor stock because you'd run into all all kinds of people during the day some of them were guests very nice people some of them have a little complaint about something some of them have something going on but the really great part was everybody is there generally having a good time so it's hard to kind of take a negative attitude and all you had to do was just realize that you were contributing to someone else's happy memory And it was really easy to kind of make it through your day. Now, the days were often long. It's a -a 24-hour-a-day, 7-day-a-week job. I worked shifts where I started at 6 in the morning. I worked shifts where I ended at 6 in the morning. These were long days. I mean, you know, never on the same day, but you would have these days that would just kind of extend past, you know, a normal, what you would think would be a normal time. You might work some overtime one day and stay later to help them refit the store to make some changes to it and so forth. But it was really a big job to be able to do that and keep everything moving and you know, keep yourself motivated because you might be really tired. But it was really amazing, you know, just the way the stock worked and get stock on the floors and make it easy for the guests to be able to find what they were looking for and make their purchases. Plus, of course, you could help them find something in the store. You could interact with them. If you, got, if you had a slow moment, you could stand there and just have some fun. There was a lot to be said for being in that store. Something busy like that Kind of fun, and there's a certain energy that that goes along with it. And along the way, you meet a lot of interesting cast members too. Um, If you're working during the day on a weekday, you get the older, more tenured cast members who've been there for a long time. Nice people to be sure, but sometimes they're a little bit set in their ways, and you have to learn to adjust your style to to work with them. You work at nights, especially on closing shifts, and you're going to work a lot with the college program kids. Great group of uh, people, right? A lot of fun, but different energy. Very different than the people you're there with during the day. And then there are a mix of them if you're there other days. If you're there on a weekend or you're there you know, mid-shift, maybe until 8 o'clock at night, you might see some different groups of people. So it's really kind of interesting because you need to learn to get along with everybody. Because with 300 people there you're going to run into all manner of people. It doesn't matter what, you know, what they are, who they are, where they are, whatever. You're going to run into them and you're going to have a chance to interact with some of them. And you really have to learn to get along. It's kind of fun because you really learn how to, how to be that small world and get along with everybody. And, uh, it teaches you a lot about how to, you know, kind of, uh, interact with people and how to just accept people for who they are, regardless of whether you agree with them on anything. Um, whether it's whether it's personal beliefs or politics or whatever, you learn how to get along with them. It's really kind of neat. And it teaches you a lot about yourself because you have to like open up a little bit because you're so tired and you're trying to get this work done. You, you know, you're there for so long and you're interacting with them so much. And it's kind of neat because you really get to know them in a very unique way that I don't think a lot of jobs offer. Um, I've worked in a lot of different places in my life, and I've never seen anything quite like it in terms of the way people interact and how well they get along. And that's why it's so neat. That's why the the kinship of being a cast member is really kind of a unique experience that you don't get anywhere else. Anyway, so that's the stock people. That's That's what stocking the store is all about. You go out there and you make sure that there's always merchandise to sell and the store is looking neat. So that's the stocking operation and how that all works. It's a really remarkable piece of engineering that goes behind it, and there's a lot of process to it that makes a lot of sense and fits it all together. And it's a really, really cool thing. On the other side of it, we have the financial piece. So you have the people running the registers, and it's really important to understand how they work as well. Now, I'm going to share with you a little bit of information about how the money control works in the Emporium. Now, as I tell you this story, I want you to keep in mind that Disney has its own way of managing security. They have their own people in the stores that are kind of monitoring the guests and also the cast members to a degree. There are some security systems in place. They do have some things around the process to make sure that everything's very secure. Disney has never been afraid to press charges to the fullest extent of the law if they think it's appropriate for them. And lest you think about actually taking some of this information and twisting it and going and trying to make a broad-scale robbery and run off with a bunch of money from Disney, remember that Disney is on its own little island there. You have to get in, get out, get your stuff, and leave, which would be a nearly impossible task because Disney has a large network of operations, and they have a good connection with the... um, local law enforcement, and I have this feeling that you wouldn't be able to get away with anything because you have to take such a long drive off of Disney property just to get away with it that you would get caught long before that. Plus, of course, Disney has its own sort of internal security just monitoring things, so just kind of keep that in mind as I'm telling you this, just in case you have these wild thoughts about, you know, oh, maybe I could use this to help myself. I don't think so. Okay, so here's the way it works. There's an area down in the tunnel that's called Cash Control. Cash Control is basically a bank. It's an area where they keep all of the cash that they need to work with throughout the course of a day, throughout the course of uh, a night, whatever period of time they're looking at. There are armored cars that come into the tunnel and actually pull up and will take money or deliver money to Cash Control. Primarily what they take is coins. They'll be uh, taking coins out of the tunnels You'll see sometimes if you happen to be down in that area of the tunnel, you'll see them putting huge pallets of coins that they then lift into the back of the armored cars to, to leave. Now, they do exchange money when money becomes worn out, or they do if they have more money than they're going to be using. They'll be sending that out as well, but that's all handled uh, as needed through the process. What'll happen is, at the beginning of the day, so when opening shift starts, a number of cast members will be sent down from the Emporium to cash control. Their job is to secure the cash that we're going to need to put in the registers for the day. Someone has already figured out how many registers they need to have open during the day and how much additional cash would need to be on hand to support the day. So what they'll do is they'll go down to cash control and they'll get that amount of cash. It's usually doled out in uh, smaller bills to make sure that it's easily usable throughout the early part of the day. They'll bring that back to a uh, vault in the back of the emporium where they'll start to uh, separate it out into the registers that they're going to need for opening. Now, I can't remember the exact amounts that they put in the registers, but each one of the registers that's going to open has, like, something on the order of $120 in it. So it's some number of 1s, 5s, 10s, 20s, right? So they want to be able to open, and then some coins as well. They want to be able to open uh, with enough money in there to be able to make change early in the day. Now, they tell you when you're working on the register... Be aware of how much money you have in your register. And if you need more or you need to make change so it looks like you you don't have enough nickels or you don't have enough $1 bills, call and we'll bring out change for you and we'll make change. So throughout the course of the day, people will be exchanging money and you'll be giving them change back. So the register has a computer in it, of course, that's keeping track of exactly how much merchandise changed hands, how much money should be in the register, how many traveler's checks should be in the register, and how much credit card receipts should be uh, there for the register as well. And at any point in time, you go into the store and you say, you know what, I think you gave me the wrong change. Or I gave you a $20 bill that said, happy birthday, Lucy, on it. The the cast member can then close that line, call into the back, bring one of the leads out to the floor. They'll bring a lead and one other cast member out. And they'll actually open the register and look to see if that $20 bill is in there. And they can actually figure out exactly how much money should be in the register and do the math and figure it out and tell you exactly what's in there. So they can do the comparison. If the if the guest thinks that there's a problem with their change, they can actually take the guest into the back. There's a little lounge in the back. They can take them back there. They can open up the register. They can lay out all the money, count, 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 check the register tape, make sure exactly the right amount is in there. Now, frequently what I found when I worked there was that frequently it was just that somebody had made a mistake in their own head. The guest had made a mistake and thought that they got the wrong change. But... of the time, they got the right change. And that 1% of the time, most of it was that it was an honest mistake. Somebody just handed back a dollar instead of a $10 bill or did something like that. Occasionally, you'd see a little bit of a funny business going on, but... You couldn't skim from the till, as they say, because there really was no way to do that. Because of the fact that the register was always monitored that way and they could tell you exactly how much money would be in it, there was really no way for you to take anything out of there. So it's really cool because you could keep track of that throughout the course of the day, exactly how much money would be in the register and exactly how much is there. So it's really cool. So if you ever have a question about how much change you get at any Disney property, just ask. They can recount the register and make sure that it's exactly right. Now, I wouldn't advise it just on a whim to just ask them to count the register, but they can do it if you think that there's a mistake made. And that's really pretty cool. So throughout the course of the day, you're taking in cash and you're doing something, right? You're taking in all this money and you're uh, putting it in the register and you're giving out change and so forth. At various intervals throughout the day, as defined by the supervisors at the right times, they'll come in and they'll actually send a couple of cast members to your register to actually take money out of the register. So they'll take out... Uh, the larger bills, and then some amount of the money so that they leave you with a reasonable amount to make change. They have a process for that. And they'll print out the register tape at that point. They have a special register tape that they print out that they put in the bag with it. And they take that back to the vault. So that way, the extra money that was taken out of the register is all accounted for. So at this point in time, here's how much money was in the register, and here's here's how much we took out of it. So that way, it's all very well accounted for. So again, if you wanted to count it, You know, it's late in the day and you want to count the register. They can pull out the receipt for when at the time they took it out and see how much was in it, do the math and figure out exactly where they started and figure out exactly where we are at this point in time. Very simple. So simple, in fact. You know, you think about it and you go, wow, this is so well thought out. And with 18 or 20 registers or whatever they had in there at the time, and it's probably more like 30 now, it's a remarkable feat to be able to do that for every register. But it's a way to keep everything under control very simply. You have a means of keeping everything very tightly controlled and knowing exactly what's in each one of the registers at any point in time. They'll also take all of the uh, receipts that go along with the uh, credit card charges. I guess now they don't do those anymore. It probably all just goes in the computer system. They just have a long uh, register tape they just print out at the end of the day. But at the time, you'd have to have the receipt that the guest had signed that you would put the copy of in the register, and they would take those as well, and they take the traveler's checks. So that's the way the day would work. As we get to the end of the day, this is where the really the magic happens. Everything's got to be done from the time the park closes till the park opens again. So if there's painting that needs to be done, polishing the floors, restocking the shelves, changing the order of merchandise on the floors, and of course counting the money, that's all happening at that time. Now, there's a master schedule that happens for each one of the parks that says we're going to be painting, we're going to be doing this, we're going to be doing that, blah, blah, blah. We're going to be re-landscaping, we're going to change the window displays. Whatever it might be, all those things are happening on a master schedule. They're all well planned in advance. So that's why when it comes to Christmas time, they're able to put out all the decorations and it's all very well organized and can be done in one night because it's all part of the master plan. So they get all that together, everything's, everything's laid out there, they coordinate with the general manager who then coordinates with the supervisor who coordinates with the leads to make sure that if they're going to, let's say, repaint a mural on a wall, all of the merchandise would be moved off of that wall so that they'd have access to it. And then it would be scheduled so that all the merchandise would be put back on that wall the next morning. So it's really, really clever. I mean, it's all very well scheduled. Now, as far as the closing stock... Your job was to make sure that everything was restocked into the store, that all the merchandise looks perfect so that when it opens in the morning, there's nothing to do for the floor stock people but make sure that everything's in order, right? So at the end of the night, you'd just be closing it down. get to do a little bit of cleaning around the registers and around some of the display areas. But for the most part, a cleaning crew came in and would do the floor cleaning and all that kind of stuff. But you just wanted to make sure it was neat. If they wanted to change a wall, you'd change a wall. If you wanted to change a display, you'd change a display. All of those things would be happening at that time for the next few hours. Now, on the uh, money side of things, what would happen is they'd select a number of people who were working the registers to sit down and actually take a register and count its receipts for the day. So you'd take the money that is in the register currently, and you'd, uh, you'd actually count it up. So you'd actually count up how much money is physically in the register right now. You'd be given all the receipts from any time that they had removed money from the register. You'd have a little sheet that you'd write down how much money is in the register when you're counting it then, how much money had been taken out previously in cash, how many receipts were there for credit card charges, how many traveler's checks were there, and then you'd total it up as your total amount for the day. And then what they'd do is they'd go back and verify that against what the, to- what the register told them was the amount that should have been in there for the day. And by golly, it was always within a penny or two. I mean, it was amazing to me how close these numbers were to what was actually in the register. It always worked out. It was really pretty neat. I think, you know, part of it is you realize as a cast member that there's an onus on you to make sure that you're giving the right amount of change and everything's working out. So you're doing everything you can to make sure that it's right. And so pretty much every day it works out. Now, the other cool thing was people come in and they spend all kinds of money. You'd see people coming in and spending. Uh, crisp notes sometimes, or or on occasion you'd see someone coming in with like a gold standard bill. I can remember distinctly standing there with a supervisor one day, and he looks down and he goes, there's some gold standard bills in there. There were $100 bills that were based on the gold standard. Now, intrinsically, they're worth $100 based on the U.S. government's uh, use of them, but to collectors, they're worth way more than $100. So the deal was, it was perfectly acceptable to go ahead and change out $100 for $100. So if I had $100 on me and $20 bills or $5 bills or whatever it was, I could take that $100 bills out of the register. Had to let the supervisor know I was doing it, of course, but I could do that. And as long as the register balanced at the end of it, all was good. Now, if for some reason the register didn't balance and they had a problem with it, they would go back and look at the logs of all the people who had logged into that register during the course of the day. Everybody had their own code. You you have to log into a register every time you're going to use it. So you put your code in. So everybody knows you're the one using it, right? And they would go back and they would look at who were the ones who used the register during the day? Okay, now let's work backwards. When was the last time it added up? Because remember, you can always do the count, right? You can figure out how much money was in there and how much was coming out. So you can always figure out at any point in time how much should have been in there. So you can figure out who the cast member was that made the mistake. And then they could get called on it if that's necessary. I did see one cast member get into trouble for it. It was a discrepancy of a few dollars. And it was there was some explanation for it. I don't recall what it was. And they got a reprimand for it. But they didn't lose their job. Certainly, they could lose their job. You could wind up getting fired for that. So it's really kind of interesting. And then at the end of that, when everything's counted up, all that money gets taken down back to cash control. Like I said, a big bank with a vault in the back. And you'd put all that money, you would hand it to the tellers, they would give you the receipt for it, they would recount it while they were standing there, tick, 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 they had machines that would do the counting really quickly, and they would tell you exactly how much you had, they would give you the receipt for that, you would take it back to the emporium, hand it to the supervisor, the supervisor would put it in the log. right? So that way you had this check and balance, it was this complete circle, you knew exactly how much money was changing hands, where it was going, how it was going, they in cash control also had access to the computers that were in the in the... Emporium's uh, cash registers, and they could see how much you were supposed to bring down. And they would check to make sure that it was there. So nothing happened between the time it was counted and the time that it was turned in. Really, really remarkable. Just an amazing thing. And then, of course, they have all those numbers. Now they can uh, distribute them to the right people to know exactly how much is selling, what's selling, what's selling best, how much do we make on it, da-da-da-da-da. And you have all that control stock information about what merchandise is moved so we know what's really selling. So now the buyers can look at it and say, okay, we need more of this or we need more like this. And the people doing the financials can figure out how much the park is making. That's how they decided to expand the Emporium. You look at the Emporium and the Emporium itself, was making X dollars a day. But the other stores were underperforming. So why not make them all part of the Emporium, absorb them all in, make it all part of the same thing, and that way everybody's making a little bit more money and you give guests a little bit more choice in what they're looking for. Why have multiple stores? Now, me personally, I don't agree with that. I think it was neat to have multiple stores there and have a little bit of interest and intrigue and variety. I like the magic store that used to be there on Main Street that the Emporium now takes over. But it wasn't a moneymaker, so I understand it. It's just kind of sad that it happened that way because I thought it was really kind of charming to have its own store where you could have, like, magic tricks that were for sale and some really cool things like that. So that's my story. That's the glimpse into the Emporium and the Magic Kingdom and what everything did as far as the financials, as far as the stocking, as far as everything you had to do in the course of a day to make sure that merchandise moved around. And I hope that gave you a little bit of insight into how the whole process worked and gave you a little feel for what it was like to do the job. And that is my podcast for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember, if we can dream it, we really can do it. Bye now.
0: Thank you for taking a ride with us on the Dave's Disney View Podcast. Show notes, more information about this podcast and about other great podcasts on the web can be found at disneypodcast.net. Also, you'll find some links to Dave's iPhone applications. See and share Hidden Mickeys or organize your pins when you go pin trading. Our thanks go to Craig, also known as Sound A Music, Craig produced the original music you hear in this podcast. You can find Craig's work at ReverbNation.com/soundA. Also, our thanks go to Doug at GeekAcres.net for his continued contributions to the show. Now, please gather your personal belongings and watch your head and step as you exit. Show number 109.